But Lent is a, it's a Christian practice, a part of the church calendar. It's not something that you're, you're going to look and see it being practiced in Scripture, but it's something that the church traditionally has um, followed, come up, kind of sort of come up with. And what it is and is really, it's a 40-day time period that represents the time that Jesus went into the wilderness, fasted, and was tempted by Satan, sort of readying his heart, ready, readying his mind to go on mission and do what the Father had asked him uh, to do. And so Lent is these 40 days that leads up to, to Easter every year. And what it is, is this an opportunity for us to sort of posture our hearts, readying our hearts for the, for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so often um, during Lent, people choose to fast from something, to give up something. You maybe have heard that. You've maybe participated um, in that yourself. You might even be participating in Lent uh, right now. And it is about saying no to something so you can say yes to Jesus. Um, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus came for us. He came to, to save us from our sin and then invite us to follow him. To learn from him, to live like him, and to obey him. That's not a religion in the way that I think a lot of people sort of get wrapped up in. And the reason that I say that is you look at the stories in, in the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, which are really the narrative or stories of, of Jesus and his, his ministry, and you'll see that a lot of the religious people missed Jesus. In other words, it was a lot of, it, the people that should have, have known that Jesus was who he said he is, that he is the Messiah, that he's the son of God, the people who studied scriptures and knew scripture better than anyone, the people who followed the commandments and, and were supposed to at least be readying their heart for a movement of God to send his son, completely missed. Like when they saw Jesus, they, they, they did not see the Messiah. The very people who should have been in the front of the line saying like, he is here. The son of God is here. The Messiah is here. Here he is. The religious leaders. I mean, they not only missed him, they killed him. And so this series, what we want to do is we want to look at these interactions that Jesus had like leading up to his death and to his resurrection. And I think the question that we want to ask is, how do we allow religiosity to get in the, to get in the way of us seeing and following Jesus? You know, I think the enemy tries to get us to do bad things. I do. And I think he tries to get us to sin, absolutely. But I also think he probably tries to get us to do good things that we think are good or following Jesus or doing the right thing when in fact they're just distractions. And sometimes religion and the messaging of the world around religion ultimately play a role of distraction in our life from seeing the true Jesus and experiencing the true Jesus. I want to read for you Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. This is Matthew 
his personal account of being called by Jesus to become a disciple. So we're going to read the book of Matthew, who was written by Matthew. And so he is retelling this moment where Jesus calls him to follow him. I mean, this is a life-changing moment. And Matthew writes about it, and it's quick. Um, But I want to dig into it so that we don't fail to recognize the power of what's happening in this moment. Uh, It says this, starting in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. This is one sentence. And if we read it, which I, I think we're, we're guilty of, quickly and we just sort of move on and we recognize this as a moment like others that we read in the Bible where Jesus is calling someone to follow him, we miss out on the depth, the power of this invitation. That this was a scandalous invite that Matthew would be called to follow Jesus. And it tells us something about the heart of God that we cannot miss as followers of Jesus. But let me go on. In verse 10, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So in, this brief, in these brief four verses, Jesus is walking um, with some of his other disciples, sees Matthew in a tax collector booth, and he calls out to Matthew and says, follow me. And the text says, Matthew himself writes, that immediately he got out of his booth and he followed Jesus. And then it fast forwards, just like later, and Matthew is now hosting this dinner. And Jesus is there, and, the, and some of the other disciples are there, but Matthew's also invited like other tax collectors, like his friends, to this dinner. And Pharisees show up to this dinner. And they don't like what they see. One of the things that the the Pharisees were, um, and and just like religious people of the time, particularly in the Jewish culture, was like cleanliness laws were very important to the culture and and, and the obedience of the the people. And so contamination was was something that was talked a lot about. You know, we just came out of a, a global pandemic, we all get like contamination, like stay six feet away, wash your hands, like all those different things. Because ultimately somebody who's sick, if you interact with someone who's sick and you, you become sick, un, you know, unhealthy people pass on, contaminate healthy people who then get sick. And the Pharisees believed that this, this wasn't just a physical uncleanliness, but, but it was true like spiritually, that interacting with, with people that were unclean, Gentiles, sinners, um, that it would, it would contaminate your soul. And so there was a lot of drawing lines in the sand, like you, you're in, you're out. You can be around me, 
you can't. You're with me, you're for me, you're against me. I mean, things, let's, things haven't changed. It's, it, is, it is part of the human condition for us to put people here, uh, put people in boxes, uh, sort of align ourselves with, with this group of people because we're comfortable with this group of people or they believe everything that, that we believe. And now we've been conditioned to sort of look at the other side and just write the other side off. Like we don't want, like almost like the Pharisees, like I don't want to be around you because I don't want to be contaminated by you. We're sort of, we wouldn't say it like that, but we function like that a lot of times. I mean, if we're only ever around the people that think like us, behave like us, interact like us, uh, we're sort of saying that anybody else, I don't, I could be contaminated by. I don't really want to be around them because I don't, I don't. You know, they're my enemy, I don't agree with them. You know, whatever those things that divide us are. And so the Pharisees are looking and they're like, look at this guy, like he's, he's, he claims to be this rabbi, this teacher, like the son of God, and uh, he should be drawing a line in the sand. Like he's sitting, having a meal with contaminated people. And they just, they scoff at it. But I want to go back for a second because Matthew, he is considered a contaminated, sinful um, traitor. See, we just read like Matthew was a tax collector. And if, you, if we don't like understand really the depth of what that means, like culturally, um, we miss out on the power of this invitation that Jesus extends to Matthew. You know, tax collectors... Uh, so, the Jewish people, Israel, were under the authority of the Roman Empire. In essence, they had been taken over. And the Romans, ultimately, at the end of the day, had all the power over them. They could do whatever they wanted. And one of the things they were going to do, <laughs> the government's pretty good at this, is tax. They're going to get their money. And so they would, they would hire Jewish people, like subcontractors, to be tax collectors. And so imagine for a second, I was trying to think of like something that would align with kind of relevant to us today. I couldn't, couldn't really come up with anything. But like, you know, imagine you're, you're a Jewish person, you're an Israelite, and your brother or sister is working for the enemy. Working for the Roman, the Roman government as a subcontractor. And often, these, were, these, these, these tax collectors, with the help of the Roman sort of authority that they had, they would, they'd skim off the top. And so, you might go to a tax collector, and they'll say, Aaron, you owe, you know, and it's, they didn't have dollars, but let me just use dollars because that's, that's our currency. Aaron, you owe $100. And I'd look through my records and they'd be like, actually, I just, I owe 80 according to this. The tax collector could say whatever they wanted. And very often tax collectors would, would increase what you actually owed to fill their pockets. And so you had to pay the 100 bucks. Because they had the power and the might of the Roman government, the Roman army behind them. 
And if you didn't pay your tax, like at best you were in prison, at worst you were killed. And so you can imagine just like as a Jewish person, looking at, looking, you know, at, at that person in the tax collector booth and going, he is one of us. He is our, our, our flesh and our blood. He's part of our lineage. And yet he works for the enemy. They were, they were despised. Tax collectors were despised by, by, by the Jews. They were hated by the Jews because they were seen as people who, who robbed and, and um, manipulated and were ultimately betrayers of their own people. There's a guy named Donald Hagner, um, a writer who says this, tax collectors in that culture were despised as greedy, self-serving, and parasitic. They grew rich at the expense of the poor by extorting from them more than what was required by their superiors in order to fill their own pockets. They furthermore often compromised regulations for purity in the handling of pagan money and their dealings with Gentiles. That Jesus should call a tax collector to be his disciple must have been in itself scandalous. We hear no objections to that here. But when in the following narratives Jesus fraternizes with tax collectors and sinners, the lower end of society, we do encounter a protest where the the Pharisees, which we see later, are like, this is not okay. And yet, Jesus, in fact, calls an enemy to be his disciple. I mean, this this must have um, bothered the disciples it bothered um, probably the Romans, it bothered the Pharisees. And um, sometimes I find it helpful to sort of experience the emotion of this. And I feel like the story that's being told through the series, The Chosen, sort of helps with that. So I want to show you this moment that is depicted in the show the chosen, where Jesus calls Matthew. And I want you just to pay attention now to what we've learned together about like how scandalous this is. And yet, pay attention to the love of Christ. Pay attention to the surprise of Matthew and how it changed Matthew. So let's watch this clip together. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew! Matthew, son of Alpheus! Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes.
Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? Grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Hey, it's Dallas and the creator of The Chosen. And yes, season one of. By the way, if you haven't watched The Chosen, just oh man, do it. It's so good. I think the thing that sticks out to me. Um, about that is that line that Jesus says, like, get used to different. Um, we get caught in our ways. And the Pharisees are an example of what we can become in getting caught in our ways. And Jesus comes and he calls a tax collector. And Peter, of course, who's always has something to say, is like, what are you doing? No, don't do this. Like, you can't. He's a tax collector. He's an enemy. And, um, and Jesus says, get used to different. And I don't know about you, but I see that, and it's like, you know, I'm like, I'm that guy in the tax collector booth. One of the things that we miss, um, why people miss Jesus, is because there's a, there's a, a refusal to admit their need. There's a refusal to admit their sin. And the thing that's powerful about Matthew is like, he just goes. He knows he's hated. Did you hear what he said? He goes, I'm not invited to parties. You, you are not invited to dinner parties. Dinner parties, like culturally, and it's still true for us today, like that was a place of friendship. It was a place of, like when you invited someone to have a meal with you, when you invited someone into your home in that culture, it was saying like, you belong here. You're with us, like you belong. And so tax collectors weren't invited because they didn't belong. And yet, um, here, Jesus says, you know, you're going to have a meal. Like, and he starts in, Matthew starts inviting all his other like, tax collector friends. But Matthew knows that people, prob- like the other disciples, probably despise him, hate him. He recognizes his sin and he moves. He moves to Jesus. He goes to Jesus. And that's one of the first things that will blind us to, to Jesus is, is, 
an unwillingness to see our sin, an unwillingness to see that we need him. And so I don't know, like, if you're here and you're just like, what's, what's getting in the way of you getting out of that booth? Like, what is your booth? What's your tax collector booth? What's, what's the things that, like, you find your safety in, your identity in? What are the things, like, in your tax collector, like the sin in your booth that you just are thinking, like, I could never, God could never forgive me for that. Like, I've done too much for too long like, I've crossed the line. Like what, are, what, what, is, what are those things in your, your booth? What are your fears about stepping out of that booth? Matthew had a lot of money. You could see how he was dressed. He was dressed like no one else. Like, he throws a big party because he's got cash. And I think his name was Gaius, the Roman, the Roman guy. Is like, are you really willing to throw this all away? You have money and you have protection. Very few Jews have that. And that leads us to the second thing that, that blinds us from seeing Jesus. And that is um, our idols. We're, we're afraid to leave our idols behind. We're afraid to leave and give up the things that we find security in, hope in, purpose in. And so we, we hold tight to that stuff. And Jesus is like, if you want to follow me, you have got to let go and come. And Matthew's this amazing story of him walking away from riches and protection and saying, I want to follow Jesus. There was something that drew Matthew something stronger than the, the, the power of money, something stronger than, than the hope of safety. And that is the call that Jesus has on you, every one of you here. It is the same invitation that he gave Matthew. It is the same invitation he's given you, follow me. And is your heart open to the power of that invitation enough that you're willing to say, I will walk away from this to go here. I'm willing to give up this to go and follow Jesus. I'm willing to be vulnerable and admit my sin and, and admit my need and go to Jesus. I'm willing to step into the unknown, the, the fear of the unknown and, and, and out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to sacrifice whatever that might look like with my time, my resources, my money to follow Jesus, believing that it's better. What if Matthew never stepped out of that booth? Probably goes on to make a whole lot more money, live a pretty comfortable life, maybe live a long life because he had protection, but none of us would be talking about him today. Yeah, he would have had money. Yeah, he would have had protection. He might have had a comfortable and long life, but he would have been forgotten. But because of that that moment where he says, he responds to Jesus' invitation. He gets to be a part of something eternal forever. And that's what, that's what Christ is offering us. But what is it that's holding us back? Is it, what is the idols that keep us in our, 
in our booths? What are the beliefs? You know, the Pharisees missed Jesus because they just were so convinced they were right and, and unwilling to listen to anything that was contrary to what they believed. And I think the sad thing I see within Christendom is, is kind of this, this battle to just like, we ha- like be right and people are spending so much time like um, finding voices that, that um, align with their beliefs so that they can feel right about their beliefs all at, the, all at the time, wasting that time by being used by God. Like I gotta find the right people that, that affirm what I believe. And then I'm gonna project that out to the world. And yet at the, at the time, it's like we're just missing these everyday opportunities to come across the Matthews of the world and just say like, Jesus is here, Jesus is for you. And so what is it about you being right that's keeping you in your booth? What are the idols that are keeping you in your booth? The last thing is, um, and the band can make their way up. Um, Jesus is essentially saying to the Pharisees, like, I cannot be defiled. This whole contamination thing, like, why are you with sinners? Like, you're gonna be contaminated, defiled? Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works. You cannot defile me. They cannot defile me. Because it's my holiness that will overcome their contamination. It's my holiness and my righteousness that will overcome their sin. I'm not just some religious leader that obey my rules and you can make yourself fit for God. Jesus is in his essence saying, I make you fit. I am cleanliness itself. When you come into relationship with me, infection, sin, begins to work itself in reverse. The clean begins to infect the unclean with cleanliness. It is Jesus. And this is the difference between religion and discipleship. It is not your goodness that wipes your, your, the, the stain of your sin. It is not your goodness that wipes that clean. It is not an act, it is not an act, it is not behavior, it is a person. And that's why Jesus says, it isn't the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. That's why Jesus is always around the lowlifes, the hurting, the sinners. Because he came to make them clean. He came to make us clean. Toward the end of his life, he invited his disciples to participate in a final meal. And it was at that meal that he took bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Then he took some wine and he said, drink this. This This is the blood that will be shed for you. It is the new covenant of renewal, sanctification, and grace and love. Jesus came to die for you and your sin, to take what is wrong and make it right, to take your dirtiness and make make you clean. 
And the invitation that he's giving you is follow me. So we're going to uh, take communion together. And uh, I, I think, I just have a feeling there's people here who have never responded to Jesus' invitation to follow him. You've just felt for too long like um, too many hurdles to get to Jesus or too much shame to get to Jesus or too many intellectual objections to get to Jesus. And I want to encourage, I want to invite you just to let that all go and just get out of the booth like Matthew and go to him and just see what could happen. See the, the impact, the change that it could have on your life. But um, know that there's going to be things that are holding you back. Safety, security, money, idols, like all the things that we kind of put our, our identity, hope, security in is going to keep us from going. But fight against it. And I want to invite you to go to Jesus. Come with your sin. Come with, come with your mess. Come with, come with the honesty of what's going on in your life, your failures. And just receive his grace. Receive his mercy. Receive what he did for you. So we have um, people up front here that are going to be serving communion. You can make your way up here. We have stations in the back that uh, are available for you. I think that one there is gluten-free if you need that. But if you want to take communion by yourself, with your family. Um, but I, I'm a big proponent of just sort of like physically posturing ourselves if we're going to respond to Jesus. Like it's fine to stand and just like in your head um, go to Jesus, but there's something really powerful when we posture ourselves to Jesus. And um, one of the things that I invite people to do is if you want to surrender your life to Jesus um, is to kneel. It's a sign of submission. It's a sign of like, you're God, I'm not. It's a sign of I, I'm weak. I need you. I need, I need you to be my savior. And so I invite you, if you want to respond to Jesus' invitation this morning, to follow him, to receive forgiveness of your sins, to be made new, to be adopted into his family and to be a part of the eternal kingdom of God and the adventure that that, that, that that life looks like, then at some point during the next couple songs, I invite you to kneel. You know, maybe you heard about this Asbury revival that's happened down in, in Kentucky. It was not flashy. In fact, I heard a story that the guy who preached, he like texted his wife when he got off stage. He goes, that was no good. Not a great message. And yet it was a few students who stuck around and they, they came up front and they kneeled and they repented of sin. And it sparked the Spirit's work where thousands of people then started coming. So I, I invite you, maybe, maybe you want to come up 
and I don't want to, I'm not here to manufacture something like, or try to recreate something, but there is something about being vulnerable and coming, coming forward and kneeling. But if you want to kneel where you're at, um, what's most important is that you've been invited to follow Jesus. You've been invited to be made clean. You've been invited to, to be a part of his family. And it's, it's, it's up to you whether or not you want to get out of that booth. But Matthew didn't want to miss out on the adventure. And he got out without, just, without even thinking of the cost. He got out. And it's, um, if you asked him, I would guess he'd say it was the best decision he ever made. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we don't want to miss out. And um, so many things get in the way, Jesus, of blinding us to your presence. That we think, oh, if I go to church, I'll see Jesus. And yeah, I, I hope we do. But then we go out into the world and we fail to recognize that you're there, that you're working in the city streets, that you're among the desolate, you're working in city bars, you're sitting with the lonely, you're, you're, you're meeting with sinners. And... Um, We're sinners, Jesus, and it's only by your grace and love that we're received. So as we now come to your table, I just pray that you'd open our spiritual eyes to see our need for you and what you've done. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That we would turn to you in our need, in our sin, and receive, Jesus, what you did on the cross for us. And so do something that I can't do. I'm not here to trick people or convince people or sell people on anything. Holy Spirit, in these next moments, do the work that you do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this alley ground, firm through the fiercest round and stone. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comfort